Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. And before we get to today's podcast and my very wonderful guest, I just want to remind everyone that's listening that if you are ready to start your own physical therapy practice, a mobile or concierge practice, or even a brick and mortar practice, head over to karenlitzy.com slash waitlist to find out more about my upcoming online program, the Strictly Business Private Practice Mastermind. Um, We will be launching in a couple of weeks. I sort of, we were supposed to launch back in June and I just didn't feel like it was the right time. And so we held off for a little bit and we'll be launching in a couple of weeks. So if you're ready to start your own practice, if you are ready for a, the most comprehensive program to help you start really practical, getting really granular into every last detail you need to open your practice, then, like I said, head over to karenlitzy.com slash waitlist and get on the waitlist so you'll be the first one to know. Now, today's episode... I'm so, so excited to have Dr. Jennifer Hutton on the show. She was supposed to be part of the Women in PT Summit last year, and for a lot of different reasons, we could not have it. So I was so excited to uh, meet her virtually, at least, and get to talk with her and get to know her. And she is a gem in the physical therapy world. So a huge thanks to Dr. Hutton for coming on. If you don't know her... Dr. Jennifer Hutton, a.k.a. Dr. J-Pop, is a pediatric physical therapist from Nashville, Tennessee. She became interested in PT when her youngest cousin was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Jennifer spent time observing him in different therapies and subsequently determined that she would work with children in a similar capacity. She graduated from Loma Linda University with her doctorate in physical therapy and moved back to her hometown. She spent two years treating in an ortho setting before finally transitioning to her dream job with children. She enjoys treating the developmentally delayed population as well as children with neurological and orthopedic diagnoses, both both congenital and acquired. While the world reminds children with special needs of their limitations, she believes they are all capable of the impossible and helps them see that their special gifts will help them be their best selves. Jennifer loves to showcase her pop stars and share creative, that's so cute, and share creative treatment ideas on Instagram. She is also an instructor for Rock Tape and is currently working on her own educational content for pediatric movement specialists. As a black woman, Jennifer knows what it's like to identify as different, and it has helped her in her quest to be an ally for children with disabilities inside and outside of the clinic. Now she is educating others on how to be effective allies to BIPOC and further her desire to create a diverse and inclusive space in uh, what she calls Dr. J-Pop's neighborhood. So this was a great conversation. This was sort of a follow-up. So Dr. Hutton did a webinar uh, that we have uh, up on, if you go to the uh, podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, under this episode, you can just literally uh, click right to it and get to that, um, get to that webinar because it was amazingly, amazingly helpful, insightful, 
it got me to see things in a different way. Um, so in this episode, we talk about how racial trauma impacts the biopsychosocial determinants of health, the difference between an ally and a white savior, implicit bias in healthcare, and the lifelong process of allyship. So I want to thank Dr. Hutton for coming on and being so open and vulnerable and sharing with us uh, her experiences and also sharing with us her knowledge on how we as healthcare providers can just be better. So huge thanks to Jennifer and everyone enjoy today's episode and uh, please share your comments on the website because uh, I'd love to know uh, what you got out of this episode. Thanks. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to have you on. Hey, Karen, thank you for having me. Of course. And now for those of you who are maybe don't know you by your full first name, <laughs> on Instagram and social media, she is Dr. J Pop. And yeah. last week, you gave a wonderfully informative, thought-provoking webinar. And we will have the link to that in our show notes because people can still watch the replay to that, correct? Yes, the replay is up and it will be for the foreseeable future. Awesome. So what I'll have you do quickly, because I don't want to put words into your mouth, but um, I would love for you just to tell the audience a little bit more about what that webinar was about and why you did it. Yeah. So it was anti-racism and allyship for rehab and movement professionals. Um, and I went through from the beginning, literally started with the history of white supremacy in healthcare through slavery, the Jim Crow era talked about racial trauma um, and the effects that it can have psychologically and physiologically. Um, then I went through the stages of allyship and all of the things that you can do in each stage. Um, and then I partitioned it out for um, the examination phase um, and for the action phase and kind of let people know in their different settings, be it education, be it healthcare or fitness, the action steps and the questions that they can ask themselves to be a better ally. Awesome. I don't know. I, I just, I wanted to do it. I, it's been a passion of mine for a while talking about cultural competency and diversity and I could tell people were awake in a way that they've never been awake before. So they were ready to receive the message. So when everything happened with, you know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery and, and George Floyd, it was kind of like the cherry on top that everybody now is, is ready to listen. And so it, I found this was a great way to just get my thoughts across. And it was, and it was. So kudos to you. It was Thank very, you. very good. Thank you. And Obviously, we're not going to have you retell that entire thing because people can go and watch the replay. Like I said, there'll be a link in the show yes. notes. But for me, after watching it, and I also watched the replay, so I sort of like went through it twice, um, just because, you know, I wanted to be really clear on what I yeah. didn't know. And I think that's good. Yeah. And so we're not going to go through all of it, but what I do want to touch upon today is, and you mentioned it uh, in your description just now, is racial trauma. And I also mm -hmm. want to talk about allyship. So what can people specifically in healthcare do to be allies to our BIPOC community in healthcare? Right? Yes. So we'll get to that. But first, what I want to talk about is racial trauma. 
This was a very, very powerful part of the webinar for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it is certainly part of our social determinants of health. And as mm -hmm. physical therapists, if we are treating under a biopsychosocial lens, yes. social is part of it. We need to be aware of what racial trauma is and how that may affect a person mentally, physically, and emotionally. Agreed. So I will hand the microphone over. The yeah, virtual so microphone. <laughs> racial trauma is basically the cumulative effects of racism on an individual's mental and physical health. And I thought it was really important to highlight because we do a great job of talking about healthcare disparities. Um, we do a great job of you know, singling out the races and what you will see in the trends and the diseases, but we don't really look at the root cause of why this may be something that is more prevalent in different communities. So um, I kind of explained that racial trauma is likened unto PTSD. The only difference is we cannot separate ourselves from that toxic environment. Um, so you start to see the manifestation of that stress. Um, the weathering is one of the terms that you will hear when it just breaks down the body because of all of the stress that you are feeling and seeing. So you start to have increased suspicion, sensitivity to threat, um, you know, physiological symptoms, using other mechanisms like alcohol and drugs, increased aggression, um, no thoughts of future. And, and I also, you know, have looked at research that where they look at the Holocaust survivors and how they actually saw changes in their DNA um, from the stress that they went through. And that's what they're starting to look at with our DNA as well, seeing that we pass these things down through generations, which is why it's called generational trauma. So to just say, oh, well, this this, um, the African-Americans are most likely to have these diseases. It's like, well, what are they dealing with outside of your clinic walls that would cause this? Um, and it was funny because the students loved that part the most. Those were actually in professional school because they're saying I, this would be extremely helpful to relate to patients when I actually go into the clinic or healthcare setting. So um, I, I focused on that and I also kind of showed ways that you cope with racial trauma and, and all of the ways that you'll see in the communities when is racial storytelling. So being able to tell you some of the, the experiences that I've had in this America, um, validation, naming the trauma, understanding that the microaggressions that you're feeling are a part of the racial trauma that you're experiencing it. And the problem they're finding, even with some of these coping mechanisms is, is great for the moment, but what happens when the next event comes around? They're going right back through those stages of grief and stress. Um, so I think it's important to see in every facet of life, there are the effects of racism, the effects of white supremacy. And so if you're hitting that on every facet of your life, you're more likely to present with physiological issues. And as a, let's say as a clinician mm -hmm. who might be treating someone who let's say does have high blood pressure, heart disease, uh, and is part of the African-American community or BIPOC community, what can, is there, is it part of our job to then educate our patients on on this so because they may say oh well, you know it runs in my family 
right? I don't know why, it runs in my family. So where does our job come in as the healthcare provider? What is our duty to those patients? To Is it our duty to address that and to help with coping mechanisms or is it just a referral to someone else? Right, I think it's definitely our job to consider it when we are approaching um, different patients, to consider that, that this may be something. And a lot of times you'll hear it in their rhetoric. Um, I think I had a student in the chat during the webinar say, I have someone who, who said he's afraid that if a cop actually comes and he can't put his hands up, that they'll feel like he's resisting. And it was because he couldn't get enough external rotation. Did you read that one? I read yeah. that too, yeah. And I was like, see, that, that right there, that is something that probably wouldn't have come to your mind when you were thinking about his plan of care. But now maybe you need to change your approach because you're actually tapping into something that makes him feel out, feel something not just about the pain, but outside in his life. So I think we definitely have to keep it in mind and consider it. I also think we have access to and knowledge about so many different ways that we can take care of our body. So even if you were to start incorporating some of those into the treatment plan so that they can understand these are things that you can use and you don't have to name it for them. You don't have to say this is because of racial trauma or give them all of the facts but you as a clinician recognize it might be something that's beneficial to them. So that's why I say to my Pilates instructors, to my yoga instructors, you know, you're a key to, to coping. You're something that could be helpful for them. And if they don't know that it exists, yeah, it is your job because you know about these things. So you can give them as a resource. Excellent, thank you. And now let's, let's move on to the concept of being an ally. Mm -hmm. So before we start, and get into uh, how to be uh, an ally, uh, certainly within the realm of healthcare. I would love for you to just, can you just define what an ally is? Yes, so an ally is a person, group, or nation that is associated with another group or others for a common cause or purpose. So that just means, no, this is not something that affects your daily life personally but you see that it does affect the way someone else's life is and you want to help make it better. So you're using your privilege and your position um, to help further the cause. And how is that different than white saviorism? Yes, yeah, so white saviorism still comes from the perspective that you are superior, that you, if, if you were not doing the work, then it would not be done and that you are absolutely needed. And I, I agree your voice is needed, but if you're still approaching it from a superior mindset because you haven't done the work through those stages of allyship, um, then it actually is it's a hindrance and it's not as effective. Got it. All right. Good, good change there. Good. Yeah. Uh, because I think oftentimes we maybe think we're an ally, mm -hmm but maybe we're not. And the concept of white saviorism, is that something that someone is consciously thinking or could that be an unconscious thing? Like you really think that you're there yeah. to help and yeah. you're trying to do your best, right. but you may not be helping in the way you think you are. Does that make sense? Right. And that's, to me, that's where the self-examination comes in. That's where those questions, um, 
that you ask yourself about your upbringing, what you believed about Black Lives Matter before all of this happened, what you thought about the killings that were happening and the people that were speaking out against them, um, what, how you've viewed other races, the things that you've said, the things that you've heard, because now you are able to see, yeah, maybe you're not a racist, but you may have biases that are affecting your thought process, affecting your decisions. So I always say, check your intention. Like, don't just say, well, I intended to do good. Look at the impact that it had. If the impact does not measure the intention, then maybe we need to go back and do some homework on that intention. Because if you're doing something only to make yourself feel better, like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm that good person. Not the best intention. If you're doing it because you're like, oh, they need me. Like I, I talked about thinking that you have to give scholarships to all black people. <laughs> like they don't have the money to pay. That's white saviorism. That is still coming from a biased mindset of they are poorer, they have less, they don't have the resources and I need to step in and save the day. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's ever intentional. I still think it's just coming from your perspective and you really gotta check your perspective. Yeah, and I think we also hear the word implicit bias thrown around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so do you want to define that and yeah. where that comes into play within this conversation? Yeah, so the official definition would be attitudes and stereotypes that affect your understanding, your actions, and your decisions in an unconscious way. And I, I talked about thought viruses. And the way that I give a great example is, the older person who only saw whites only signs and colors only signs everywhere that they went. Do you really think they couldn't have made some type of decision or, or, or thought about how black people are, how, how white people are based on what they experienced in their environment? So everything that you were taught, the things that you saw, the things that you heard, it forms your biases and that's on all sides. And it, it mobilizes you and it's how you act. So if you were surrounded by people who were racist, even if you think yourself as a, of yourself as a good person, you still may have things that were thought viruses that were planted that you have to check. Yeah, all right, great. Okay, now let's get into the stages of allyship. So yeah. stage one, awareness. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that just oh. mean, oh, I'm an ally, I'm aware. I'm sure it's much more complicated than that. So I'm just trying, I'm pointing out like the total ridiculous yes. side of it because that, but it. that might be like what people think. Like I'm aware, I watch mm -hmm. the news, I know what's going on, I'm going to be an ally. Done. Yes. So awareness is that you see that there is a problem. You see the problem and you acknowledge the problem. You also acknowledge as an ally your privilege in this world. The fact that you are viewed as different um, and sometimes better in your spaces. And then you say, I, I wanna make this better. So the end of awareness is still an action step of committing and deciding and, and holding yourself accountable to learning and unlearning all of the things that have made you think this way so that you can be an effective ally. So the awareness isn't just, yeah, I'm an ally. It's, uh -huh. oh, there's a problem. <laughs> we gotta do something about this. How do I help? Yeah. And could an action step in this awareness phase be, you know, watching your webinar or watching um, 13th or reading a book or having conversations? Does that, would that fall into this category or is that sort of weave through? 
I think awareness is probably the step that you will visit the most. That was, that's the stage because you, the more that you educate yourself. So webinars, podcasts, TED Talks, documentaries, those are part of your education. Just like any, I think I said, create your own curriculum. Um, just like you would learn anything, you have to go through all of the information. But as you learn, you'll start to see these things in other spaces and that seeing those things is still your awareness so i always say don't think that you're going to escape the phase like be done and not come back to it you're going to start to see these things in all the facets of your life got it so not just awareness on like i took a week off and uh, now i'm more aware it's really being aware on a daily basis of what you're seeing in your community within your family your friends your peers your colleagues and then just so are you aware of it and you just make a little mental note i think or it's it's more of a aha and it sticks because if you're educating yourself then what you see will help you process if that makes sense Uh the the scenarios that you are placed in the things that you watch you'll be able to refer back to oh i remember when i watched Oh, I remember when I read, when I heard this person say, now you're connecting dots um, after you've educated or in the process of educating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then we sort of jumped the gun. So we've got awareness and education is Mm -hmm. sort of that kind of second stage or do those Mm -hmm. just sort of inter sort of weave together? You can't have have one without the other, right? Yeah, Yeah. you can't. Okay. And then next so kind of moving through these stages here here comes the this this is a tough one here comes the <laughs> sticky one self interrogation <laughs> so can you explain that and also explain why it's a sticky it's it it can be difficult yes um the reason self interrogation this is when you really start to ask yourself the questions cuz you're now trying to strip yourself or unlearn the things that have caused you to think the way that you have. So you really have to put your ego aside. And and I always say, tell yourself, you're not a bad person. You just have thought viruses that you're trying to change. So you're asking yourself those questions. What were you taught about black people and people of color? Um, Were there any times that you were in, you know, scenarios where there was racism and you didn't speak up or you didn't feel like it was important to speak up? have you allowed your privilege to mobilize you, but maybe not helped someone else? Do you have friends of color? Um, the, my favorite is, well, what, was, what were your thoughts about Black Lives Matter 10 years ago? In 2012, maybe when Trayvon Martin happened, what were you thinking about these same protests and these same people speaking out? Um, because if you can truly answer those questions, then you'll see, ah, that's where my bias is. Ah. That's where, that was my blind spot. That is something that I didn't realize was coming in, but it has affected me. Um, So those were the personal questions. And those are hard because it is really, you have to strip yourself of of what you consider a part of you, um, a part of who you are, a part of your upbringing. And if you're having those conversations with family members, I mean, I've heard people say, I didn't expect my parents to say the things that they said. I didn't expect my best friend to feel the way that she did about me posting my black square. And the conversation that we had was extremely uncomfortable for me and hurtful because I thought we were on the same page. So that's where the discomfort lies. And then it's 
in deciding, is this that important for me to continue, even if other people don't continue with me? Asking yourself that question is hard um, because you can't, you can't let go of family. <laughs> That's not how it really works. I mean, of course, if it's toxic, I understand, but you really have to say, I might be doing this by myself and it is a tall task. So are you really ready for it? Um, so that was the, the personal self-interrogation. Yeah, it's, it's sort of this cleaning out your cupboard, if you will. Yeah, yeah you know? definitely. And, and, and trying to see if you are ready to change your thoughts and your beliefs. And what if you go through these questions and you're not ready? Okay. Ask and yourself why. Mm hmm it's always, it always comes back to the question. Once you get to that point of discomfort, you have to ask yourself why you're uncomfortable. You can't just escape the situation because you're going to end up coming back to it if, if it was a part of your awakening. Once you're awake, <laughs> it's hard to not see things. <laughs> it is really hard. Um, so I always say it's fine if you're not ready, but maybe the reason you're not ready is because you had an upbringing that taught you something that you can't shake. Maybe you need a therapist. Maybe you need to talk through some of those other things to actually help you get past this stage. And where was there a point for you growing up where you had um, your first encounter with racism? Mm -hmm. uh, my very first that I can recall was four. Um, I was in Mother's Day Out where you went like three days a week. And I wanted to play with like, is that daycare? Is that like a it's daycare? Kinda, it's kind of like daycare, preschool? but you don't go every day. Oh, and you okay. still learn things. So it's like so, a preschool thing. Yeah. It's like pre-K three or four right. or whatever Got you it. call it. Okay. Um, but I wanted to play with the kids. And I think there were two black kids in the entire Mother's Day out or my class. And I was told, no, we don't play with brown kids. And by, by another four-year-old. By another four-year-old. Mm -mm -mm. And so I apparently went home. I remember the act. I remember the kid. I could actually see his face even now, 30-something years later. Um, but apparently I didn't want to tell one parent because I thought that parent would get upset and do something <laughs> at the house. So I told my, I think I told my mom. Um, and that was when they first had to have that conversation of, people are not going to like you because of your color and explaining, imagine having to explain that to a four-year-old, no. like they're still processing how to count past a hundred, like, and you're telling them count their, past skin 100. <laughs> their skin color yeah. is, is, a, is going to be a problem. Something that they identify with that they see in the mirror every day, they cannot shake is going to be a problem for people. Um, so I think that was definitely the first time that I remember. And then I also remember the first time I said, oh, I, this is unacceptable. And at that point I was like 14 and I had had an incident with a cop where I was profiled and it was evident because I had white friends around me that were not treated the same for the same regulations I was given. And it was at that point that I said, bet I'm a fighter it's time to go. <laughs> I'm not going to accept this. And I'm not going to not be in these spaces because you don't like it either. 
I'm going to show up and you're going to see me and I'm going to speak and be loud about how I feel um, because I think my voice is extremely important. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, I grew up in a, the most non-diverse <laughs> town in Pennsylvania and I went to a very non-diverse school for college, mm -hmm. it's much mm -hmm. more diverse now. Um, and when I moved to New York, so I'm in my 20s. Uh -huh. And it's the first time that I had a friend that I worked with, and um, he's awesome, but that's aside, beside the point. Um, and we were, we were at work, and he had said something about, like he had to drive, he, was, he hated driving back out of the city at night sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why? I was like, is it, I was like, he wasn't a drinker or anything like that. It's like, he's drinking and driving and I couldn't right. understand. And I was like, well, why wouldn't you, like, why would you worry about driving out of the city at night? And, and he was like, well, I wouldn't want to get pulled over. I'm like, why would you get pulled over? This is how like night, and I was not doing it. Like I was seriously wondering why would you get pulled? Like, I, do you have a broken tail light? Did you <laughs> do, do speed? And he was just looking at me and he was like, no, I'm like, well, why would they, why would the police pull you over then if you were doing everything right? And he was like, well, you know, and I was like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. tell me why. And he was like, well, you know, because I'm black. And I was like, what? Yeah. And that yeah. was the first, I was in my twenties yeah. and that was the first time. And I was like, I, what? It's what funny. Are, I had what are you talking about? So I that was the first time I ever had a conversation about yeah. that type of, uh, about racism and how it affects someone who I only knew as like, he's awesome. I love him. He's my great, he's a great friend. And to this day is still a great friend. And I just was like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I get it. I didn't get yeah. it. <laughs> and I think part, my brother said it perfectly. Sometimes when you're in the same spaces, with people, you think your experience is similar. So even if you had a black friend that was with you through all of those, you know, non-diverse schoolings and situations, scenarios and things that you were part of, you would still think our, our, our perspective has to be the same because we're getting to do the same thing. So it kind of makes it harder for you to look outside of your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, what a world. Um, so that's a little bit on the self-interrogation and with those questions, yeah. when I asked myself those questions, I remember that incident so clearly now and looking back on it, I was like, oh boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. was just didn't know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And now I do. Now and, you do. And now I do. Yeah. Period. Um, <laughs> now, Let's go on. So we talked about self-interrogation uh, sort of as a person, but let's talk about it now under the lens of being a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? So the self-interrogation as a healthcare provider, to me, just like I said, we're educated on health disparities, but not the root of them. Um, what was your professional opinion? How did you form your professional opinion based on the things that you were taught? Um, and this can even, a great example is when you hear the word Medicare, what do you do <laughs> mentally 
physiologically do you groan because it's like uh, another Medicare patient if you're a clinic owner or even if you are a clinician um, Medicare Medicaid workman's comp like what are your thoughts when you see that come through the door chronic it's like chronic pain what do you think about chronic pain people like that's these are you formed a bias and how does that bias actually shape how you treat shape the way that you develop plans of care are you able to actually change things based on what you see just like that student said well how do i work on external rotation there's a million ways that you could actually work on it without it triggering them so those are the things that you really have to ask yourself and then privilege in outside of just the clinic um what is your governing organization look like when you are part of these masterminds and part of these panels and these groups and discussions do you see other voices do you see other people that don't look like you in the room are there ways that you could leverage your privilege to actually open the door so that there are more voices in the room and then how do you view the table like there was one person i was talking to last week and she said you know even the thought of saying let's give them a seat at the table says that you own the table and you don't <laughs> none of us do so you want to create a, a a diverse perspective or a diverse group of people in all of your spaces and so you really want to ask yourself how can i do that and then patients like nonverbal communication when when you are working with them when they are hearing conversations that might be triggering or um how do you respond do you want to just go in a corner and, and not say anything? Do you want to just ignore it and shift it to the side? Um, how does discomfort in your coworkers look uh, when you're talking about certain things? So that's some of the self-interrogation you can do as a clinician. And, you know, you sort of mentioned, well, if you're having these conversations with patients, having conversation with patients, what happens when, let's say, a patient in a clinic, whether you're one-on-one -on -one or you're in a gym with a lot of people, if they, say something mm -hmm. that's just not right right if they if they're talking racist talk or even saying things that maybe aren't blatantly racist mm -hmm. but still you're like mm, 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 mm. yeah no that's I, not right what do you what do you say you know we we spoke about this a little bit before we went on the air and we said it's it's a little different because we can we were talking about coronavirus before we got mm -hmm. on the air and how you know cases are going up in some parts of the country and it's not just because of more testing it's because more people are sick mm -hmm. and you can point those facts and figures yeah. so if someone says to you cases aren't going up it's the testing you can say no 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 here are the facts and figures yeah. here it is this is the truth yeah with this it's a little more abstract right so how do we handle those situations as healthcare providers i think just like you handle your patients it's going to be a case by case um, situation. I can't give you a, a cookie cutter copy and paste way because everybody, even if they present with an implicit bias, is still going to be different from the next person. So depending on your position, if you are a clinic owner, then if this is something that is explicitly, someone is explicitly racist, then you have to make it clear what your business stands for. That is extremely important first. Um, I think it's important to have procedures and policies in place, and maybe even we we this is we are a, we tolerate everybody. Like this is an, an open space. This is we accept everyone as they are, and that's something you can give to them 
the first time they walk in the door because that lets them know, I don't know who's coming in here. It's clearly a diverse population and they are tolerable of everybody. So it sets the standard, sets that precedence before you even get started. And then it, it's those simple conversations. No, you can't spend your whole session educating them on you know the history of healthcare, but you can say, you know, there are some resources that I've read that have helped change my perspective. And if they are open, then give them to them. If they are not, then you need to have something in place that says, hey, I understand that everybody has different perspectives, but here we respect everyone and we don't want to trigger anyone in how in, in our speech. So we would really appreciate it if you would respect that. And honestly, there are going to be some people who don't like it. And that's, that is this journey. This is literally the journey of being a black person and being an ally. There are not going, there are going to be people that don't agree with you and you just have to decide what your stance is and continue to go inside for that every time you face these situations. And I love, and I want to point out that the responses you just gave did not, they weren't accusatory. They weren't aggressive. It was more, hey, I found this for myself, or this is what we as a clinic believe. Yeah. It wasn't, you're, how could you say that? Don't say, I mean, that is just the wrong way to go about it. Especially as a clinician, it's not professional. Yeah. Now, if it got to that point, you do, you might have to say, you know what? We might have to end our relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I may be able to give you some clinics that are, that would be more suited for you. Um, but this, if you are, if you continue to look at this as person against person, we're not going to get anywhere to me. If you look at it as these are thought viruses I'm trying to change, it's a lot easy to have a lot easier to have grace for other people as well. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Now that was a little bit of an action step, right? Yes. So let's talk about a <laughs> uh, very, very important step in allyship and that's action. So that yeah. was one, and that's a great action. But what are some other things uh, that would fall into the action category? Um, so I split them up into immediate action and long-term action, uh -huh. um, and mainly because we're telling you slow down, educate yourself, and that can be hard because like, well, there's stuff that needs to be done. So your immediate action is you're protesting, signing petitions, sending emails, um, informing yourself about you know the politicians that are statewide, local, all of those. Um, and then speaking up against remarks, if you hear them. Now, one thing I want to say, do not wear yourself out in the comment section of social media, because I'm sorry that anyone who comes into those comment sections, they're really not looking to learn anything and you're not going to teach them. So It'll you have to let suck those... the energy out of you. <laughs> it energy, will. energy vampires. It's Ooh, not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So that's not the action I need you to take. I need you to take that off the dock. Um, Long-term action would be continuing to having those discussions in your clinics, in your gyms, in your educational setting to see where your blind spots are and what you really would like to do to move forward. Um, I think I said earlier, you, you may get stuck at a step and if you feel like it's something deep-rooted, get a therapist um, to actually help you talk through these things. Um, recognize it's a learning process. Encourage others to do that work that you are doing. Um, and it, it's, it, we're doing it already as healthcare clinicians. We learn things, we believe things, and then we use them in our practice. 
whether it be something in the biopsychosocial model about chronic pain, about certain, you know, systems that we use, we do it already. And you just have to decide that this is something that's important to you. And that honestly will be your guide when you get to that long-term action. And something that you'd mentioned in the webinar that I want to bring up again is that when you're talking about these, this long-term action, that it needs to be authentic mm-hmm. and that you, you don't want it to, you don't want to subscribe to tokenism. So we didn't really define tokenism. So why don't you define what that is and why we want to be authentic and not subscribe to it? So tokenism, the long and short is you are going to get that one person to represent diversity. Um, I think I said what we were talking before we started recording about if you are in an all white um, community, don't just go get a black person and say, that's our representation. That is not authentic. And it's probably not comfortable for them, which you need to be able to, to identify that. So if you're just picking the black person or the person who's Mexican or Asian to say you have that voice, that would be your tokenism. Yeah. And, and I, I think that we certainly see that in a lot of facets of society. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Any other uh, actions that you want to cover? Or do you think um, we've hit everything? I think, I think we've hit everything. I know I did a lot of um, steps for examining in the webinar, which if they wanted to see it by setting, they're definitely able to go in there. But my biggest takeaway from this is I know we are in a manic period still where everybody is, is hopping on, on this quote trend. Um, so don't burn yourself out. It is a, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And so it will, it might be sticky. It might be difficult. It might be uncomfortable, but you have to decide whether this is what you believe in to keep going. Excellent. Well, thank you. I was just going to ask, what are your final thoughts? And you beat me to it. So thank you. Okay. Well, on, on that, I have one last question that I ask everyone and that's knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself straight out of physical therapy school? Be patient. Be patient. Um, I came out with the idea, I'm going to be a peace therapist and nothing's going to stop me and I'm going there and I'm doing this and I had to take detours from the minute I graduated. Um, My life did not look like what I thought it would, but where I am right now, I'm good. So it it worked out how it was supposed to. So I would say, be patient. Excellent. I still need to learn that one. I still feel (laughs) like things- I, uh, I feel like things still need to be done yesterday. Um, thank you for that advice. And now, where can people find your webinar? Yes. They so watch the replay. Um, if you go to Instagram, dr.jpop, I actually have the link in my bio. I am probably by the time this comes out, it will be on my website as well, um, which is www.drjpop.com. That replay is there and it will be there until that platform doesn't exist. So hopefully forever. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate this. Like I said, I learned a lot. It was very introspective for me to go through your questions and to kind of understand the privilege that I came from just for the fact that I was born with the skin that I have. Right, right. And it has nothing to do with my parents 
or, you know, just that one singular thing, right? right? Um, has given me privilege and listening to you and educating myself has really allowed me to, to see that, that very singular fact very clearly. So uh -huh. thank you very much for your webinar and for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. And everyone else, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.